It's Sherry who introduced herself earlier on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Sherry Berry. <laughs> I don't know, but that's Mary Berry. It's Mary, it's Mary Berry. Berry. <laughs> it's oh. And her sister <laughs> Sherry. The American counterpart, Sherry Berry. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our most favorite pet dogs and we go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I am your host, Mike Schuber. I am notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are two folks that you might know from Wayward Guide. It's Joey Richter and Her Royal Highness Ashley Clements. Joey and Ashley, how's it going? Hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> Thank you for my standard title. I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, yeah. We're we're great. <laughs> this is fun. Mystery solving is something at least the two of you have been acting with, but from a personal level, are either of you big mystery fans from childhood or currently big Encyclopedia Brown, Scooby-Doo, Nancy Drew fans, anything like that? I was a really avid Nancy Drew reader around like third grade. I would say it was Babysitter's Club and Nancy Drew all the time for me then. But I don't know that I could say that that is true now. I used to read a series of books called The Bailey School Kids. Does everyone remember them? I've heard. I've never read them, but a couple of people have recommended me to do those on the show. They're lovely. They're like basically, you know, every title is like werewolves don't go to summer camp or like oh, vampires oh, don't teach books. math yeah, class yeah, yeah. and it's like leprechauns don't coach basketball and it's like every book is like got a really cool art of you know some mythical being that works at their school or is in their lives and it's just about them trying to figure out whether it's true or not those were my jam. Any like monstery things were always my jam when I was a kid. Those always felt like happy goosebumps to me. Mm. Very much goosebumps. But Joey, that tickled like something in the back of my brain in a way where I feel like I remember that. You probably do. They were probably those books that like, did everyone have the scholastic book fairs when they were? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. And that was like always what uh, I would get. I had a ton of them. I used to always get Captain Underpants at those classic oh, book fairs. Yeah. And then I would finish it on the bus ride home. I was one of the last stops on the bus. And before I got home, I would have finished my new Captain Underpants book. <laughs> yeah. So here's how the game is going to work. I will be recapping three quick mysteries from the esteemed television program Scooby-Doo. Specifically, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The 2002 through 2004 remake of the series, which I have fallen head over heels in love with. It's very, very fun. Neither of you have seen these episodes ahead of time. I will be recapping them. Them. I'll lay out all of the clues. I'll ask you for your accusations and each correct guess of culprit, method, motive, etc. will earn you points. But there's also bonus points at stake. If your incorrect guess matches my incorrect guess that I laid forth while preparing for this episode, you will get one Misery Loves Company bonus point. I'm usually wrong, so you could be in good company if you are as well. But also, I'll just throw out some bonus points if your guess is particularly ridiculous, you make a good pun, anything that tickles my fancy and I feel is worth a bonus point in this hellscape of a world we live in right now. <laughs> you know, it makes me happy, so let's do it. That's good, because I don't know that I'm particularly good at solving this but um, I can be ridiculous. That can take you very far in this show. Before we get into the actual mysteries, though, 
We are playing for charities, so I would love to learn what organizations you two are playing for. Ashley, what charity will you be playing for today? I'm playing for the Trevor Project, well-known but does great work in crisis intervention and suicide prevention with LGBTQ youth. They do a lot of great work. What a great organization. What about you, Joey? I am competing for Feeding Texas. They usually help fund a lot of food banks and those kind of programs in Texas. But right now, with the energy and the power crises, they are kind of going double time trying to help people and bring food to people who have been without it due to the crisis there. So let's divert some resources there while they need it at the moment. Yeah, great cause. I lived in Houston for 10 years, so I have lots of friends and family that were affected by what was going on. So great organization to support. So we've got our charities. We've got the rules laid out. Let's put the pedal to the metal and do our first mystery, which is called the San Fran Psycho. Mm. Oh, I'm from San Francisco, so I love it. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, no, Ashley, it's a leg up. <laughs> <laughs> so... Clearly, you'll know about this, this very real annual skate competition that happens every year inside of Alcatraz called Mm -hmm. The Grind Games 2. That's our opening scene for this episode. I've actually competed three years. Oh, wow. Amazing. How'd you do? Dead last. Mm. Hopefully they still gave you a participation ribbon of sorts. You know, I showed up and I was proud. This is a Scooby-Doo episode. (laughs) This episode is called San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah, not necessarily the best aging, but I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going off psycho as in the classic horror movie psycho and not like oh what a psycho woman you know yeah but we open on grind games 2 at alcatraz and in peak 2003 the uh competitor that is currently skateboarding is ryan sheckler teen heartthrob skateboarder ryan sheckler is currently doing some skateboard tricks he lays down some wonderful stuff and then Another competitor named Rich Curland starts to do his routine, but he gets attacked by the titular San Francisco. How? How does he get attacked? So he goes off of a big vert ramp and he goes into the sky and then... I guess he's hiding in the rafters because he just never, the skateboarder just never comes down. Uh His skateboard does. And then everyone looks up. And then in the rafters where all the lights are is a zombie looking creature. He's got green skin and a hook for a hand. And he has seaweed, not necessarily covering him, but draped around him like a very large feather boa. But it's all seaweed wrapped and tangled Mm -hmm. all around Mm -hmm. him. Not like a cousin it seaweed kind of situation. Okay, okay. No. Just like a very long scarf that you've knitted. Just like an accessory, sure. Yeah, it it is an accessory. He does use it every now and then to tangle up his prey. So Mm. it's a functional accessory. It's a functional accessory. (laughs) Yeah. So in this case, he just takes his giant hook hand and then starts smashing all the lights. And everyone runs away in fear. And then uh, we cut to the gang just driving along in the mystery machine. Of course, they pass the Golden Gate Bridge and other San Francisco landmarks, and they arrive at Grind Games 2, and the competition's just still going. They haven't canceled it, even though a skateboarder's been attacked by a vague monster. Did they drive to Alcatraz? Which is an island. So what we learn from the opening scene is that this intro scene was the opening party to the Grind Games 2. And it wasn't actually the first competition. So they had an opening... Ceremonies, like the... Yeah, the opening ceremonies, of course, yes. Took place inside of Alcatraz. But the rest of the competition just takes place in Golden Gate Park in clear view of the Golden Gate Bridge the entire time. Great. So they are walking around Grind Games 2 
And Ryan Sheckler, who apparently is just friends with them, is also there. He's gotten them like VIP passes because they're buds. They go way back, even though he's like 14 and the gang is of unknown age. We will never know how old they are. They are maybe in high school. They're maybe in college. Who's to say? We'll never know. They're perpetually in their like late 20s. They're just malleable young adults. So they are at the games. Ryan Sheckler tells them about the scary event. The gang somehow had not heard about this yet, but he says not to worry because they've heightened security so that, quote, no more whack stuff happens. Wait, so they didn't even show up for this mystery. They just showed up to go come to the grind games. What's very fun about what's new Scooby-Doo is that they usually are just doing something for fun and then something ridiculous happens to happen in the location that they're at. And then they're like, fuck, we have to work now. <laughs> just wanted to watch the game. This is a work trip now. Why does mystery follow me? <laughs> but they genuinely love it. So while they are walking around, a group of protesters dressed in all red clothing and all red face paint and hair dye and everything come through and they are chanting high on life, not on boards, repeated and repeated. And Ryan Sheckler goes, oh, man, that's haze for Languini who runs a local group of theater-esque people that also protest all of the time. Apparently they're mad because where this skate competition is happening is where they like to do their outdoor performances of stuff, and it's ruining their ability to do their performances. So they are protesting Grind Games 2. Golden Gate Park is quite large. There's plenty of space. It's enormous! <laughs> yeah, that'd be like saying, oh, Central Park is ruined. Like, it's so big. It's like... Go over there? <laughs> yeah. Wait, this guy's name is Hayes for Linguini? Hayes for Linguini, and not Hayes spelled like the name Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. H-A-Z-E, Hayes. He's like if a pasta was a drug. <laughs> I'm high on Hayes for Linguini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have definitely given Ashley a bonus point for Hayes for Linguini, which definitely sounds like you could go into an edible store and get, you know, this is THC-laced pasta. Just boil the water. <laughs> this is a new strain, Hayes for Linguini. Especially in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> So they also start chanting as they leave. They say, grind coffee, not rear axles, oh which I guess God. is another cool skateboard thing for them to say. But rear axles makes them definitely sound like not cops. Coffee's honestly a, probably a more addictive drug than skateboarding, though. So, yeah, there's no nicotine in skateboards. There's no drugs in kickflips. Come on. No. The competition, the first competition, actually begins. It's a street skating competition. Ryan Sheckler does his first run. He does very well, but he fails his final trick. So two judges give him scores. One gives him an 8, one gives him an 8.5, and a third judge gives him a 10, which the gang finds confusing. Fred says, oh, maybe she didn't see him miss his last trick? That's kind of weird. As the gang is watching the skate competition, a bike tour guide leader rides up to the bleachers that they're on. And says, would you like to go on a bike tour? He introduces himself as Julian Libris. Fred says, no, thank you. We would just like to watch the skateboarding. And Julian gets mad. He says, no one wants to go on a bike tour when this skate event is in town. Ugh. And then he rides off angrily. Oh, that's so Julian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there is now a girl skater named Lucas. I'm assuming she's Brazilian because she just has one name, Lucas. <laughs> so she is skateboarding and the announcer says that she is supposed to be this really good competition. She's supposed to be giving Ryan Sheckler a run for his money in this contest. But just as her run begins, the San Francisco returns. Oh, and no. he 
bursts through the bottom of a ramp, which is made out of plywood. He just bursts through it using his hook hand and then tries to use his seaweed to attack Lucas. But some security guards come in and save her and chase the San Francisco away. And he jumps back into the hole that he made in the bottom of the ramp. And then he's gone. Can I just confirm who was witnessing this event? Thousands of people. The bleachers are full of people. It's a packed crowd here at Grind Games 2. Okay. So Julian, the tour guide, comes back and he says, oh, that monster was the San Francisco. And then he starts going into this monologue about who the San Francisco is. Apparently, in 1963, a prisoner named Clint Morris escaped from Alcatraz, but was attacked by a shark and couldn't make it safely to shore. And now the rumor is that his ghost haunts Alcatraz. And apparently that ghost has come across the bay to Golden Gate Park as well. Oh, so this is the backstory of our monster. Oh, boy. Julian says he will take the gang over to Alcatraz on his boat. So they get in his boat. They have to pay him, of course, because he's a tour guide. Mm-hmm, very profitable for Julian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once they get to Alcatraz, he says he's going to stay with the boat. He doesn't want to go inside. He's afraid of the monster. And once they get inside Alcatraz, they get attacked by the monster. Of course, there's a chase scene, but they're able to escape Velma, while they're inside Alcatraz, finds a cell that is actively being used. There's clothes and bedding and also a Grind Games 2 program, which has big red X's drawn over all the faces of the competitors. (laughs) (laughs) So they think something is up. They think this is where the person behind the monster must be staying. Why? That's very normal. Yeah. (laughs) Just regular people stuff. Very normal that a prisoner would just try to get some free programming. A prisoner in an abandoned prison. (laughs) It's a museum now. They're living there by choice. (laughs) It's just got great rates. It's rent controlled. Yeah, of course. They then try to leave on their boat, but they see that the monster has taken Julian's boat and they don't see Julian anywhere. They just see the monster driving away on their boat. But Fred sees kind of like a rundown old Bay Patrol boat that they're able to get working and they start taking that boat back to San Francisco While they're in it, they realize the boat has a leak, so it's like starting to sink. Then they get attacked by a bunch of sharks, another hijink-filled chasing, and they are able to, thankfully, make it to shore safely. And then the next morning, they're trying to convince Ryan Sheckler, you should cancel the games. And Ryan Sheckler says, no, we can't. And then in a very fun tongue-in-cheek joke way, he says, there's too much tradition here to cancel the games. This is Grind Games 2. And then they all kind of look at the camera and a sad trombone plays. It's very good stuff from the writers. I appreciate the joke. God, that's funny. Is Ryan running the event or is he just competing? It's very unclear because the announcers very much like him, but he is competing. So he's not running it, but everyone seems to love him. We also don't know if he's 14 or 24, so... (laughs) I can tell you, Ryan Sheckler birthday. I think he's like my age. He is born in 1989. This came out in like 2002. Oh, so wait, Ryan Sheckler's a real person. Oh yeah, real real person. He wait, was what? he was a, a skate teen heartthrob. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised neither of you have heard of this guy. He was like a real deal skateboarder. Like when X Games were really big, he was this good teenager, and all the girls loved him. It was like Bieber before Bieber. Like he had the swoopy hair and the bright smile, but he was also incredibly talented at skateboarding. Ryan Sheckler's very real. Okay, well, that makes him less likely to be the 
psycho. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but I think he was like, he was probably 12 or 13 when this episode was released. So he doesn't want to cancel it. Way too much tradition at stake. The gang then sees that judge from before that gave Ryan a 10. They see her at a temporary tattoo booth at Grind Games 2, and she's getting a Ryan Sheckler temporary tattoo. So they think that doesn't feel like something a judge should be doing. That feels like she's playing favorites. I mean, it's only temporary. (laughs) (laughs) So then as they keep going through Grind Games 2, they see Julian, the tour guide, and they confront him and they say, hey, what the heck? Why did you let or leave or be abducted by the monster? We were stranded on Alcatraz. And he says that the monster knocked him out and stole the boat. And he doesn't know what happened. But when he woke up, he woke up at Fisherman's Wharf back in San Francisco. Hmm. The monster then, of course, attacks that night during another skateboard competition. And the gang gets into a chasing with him. They're able to escape. But as they escape, they see Hayes, our protesting friend, looking like he's trying to saw down one of the ramps from the support beam structures, which feels incredibly dangerous. They tell him so. And he says, again, he's just mad that the skateboarding competition is here. He was going to use this to, like, build his stage. He said he wasn't tearing down the ramp. He was going to, like, build a stage. Feels like a very sketchy lie. And then he unicycles away. Oh, my God. He's one of those guys. Excellent. That's real skill, okay? Skateboarding, I don't know, but unicycling, talk about balance. So the gang, in classic fashion, splits up. Fred, Daphne, and Ryan Sheckler are one group. He comes along for the sleuthing. And Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby are the other group. They snoop around Hayes' RV while Hayes' crew does what else but a drum circle. Oh, boy. So they're investigating. They see a bunch of costume material, so they think, hmm, maybe Hayes is behind the monster because a lot of costume stuff they could make this zombie-looking costume. Fred, Daphne, and Ryan Sheckler follow Julian the tour guide. He gets onto a trolley, I guess, to give, like, a trolley tour. But Fred gets onto the wrong trolley, and then the San Francisco is on that trolley, and he, like, cuts off the brake line. So now it's a runaway trolley down the steep hills of San Francisco. So Ryan Sheckler and Daphne, who weren't on the trolley, go to save Fred by what other way? But taking one of those, like, moving rolling dolly things, and Ryan Sheckler skateboards on it and is able to ride alongside the runaway trolley and gives them instructions about what they can do to brake. And it's kind of like speed where everyone on the bus has to move to different parts of the train to make it happen and all this kind of stuff. And they're able to be safe. They get away safely. Then the gang does a classic situation to trap the monster. And then they're able to reveal who is behind it. So I will turn to the two of you. Who do you think is behind this Alcatraz-based monster? Man, for a while, I really thought it was Ryan Sheckler. <laughs> I've also very much wanted it to be Ryan Sheckler, and I'm kind of bummed that he's real. Like, he's the only one not getting attacked during the skate thing, and I was like, this is this is him. I mean, to be fair, we never see him and the monster at the exact same time, because you just see the monster cut the brake wires, and then a little bit later, Daphne and Ryan Sheckler realize, uh-oh, Fred's not with us. Oh, he got on the wrong trolley. Huh. Okay. Still could be Ryan Sheckler. Who's to say? I mean, if I was going to guest star on Scooby-Doo as a 12-year-old, I would 100% be like, and I am the villain. (laughs) Okay. Here's my thought 
I do still think it revolves around Ryan Sheckler. Oh, wait, but it can't be the judge because the judge was judging. They were judging, but we did never cut to them. Mm. So we didn't see the judge actively there or not. We only saw the judge right after Ryan finished his run. And then Lucas went next and then the attack happened. So we don't know if the judges were there or not. We never saw. And do we know if the temporary tattoo, where was it? Was it a tramp stamp tattoo? <laughs> it was an upper arm <laughs> shoulder situation. Because at first they just saw a skateboarder and the gang thought it was normal. But then she rolled up her sleeve higher and you saw Ryan at the top. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with the, because I still can't shake the feeling that it has something to do with nixing all the other competitors aside from Ryan so that Ryan wins. So I'm going to go with the judge. Okay. Ashley, how about you? I feel like it's very weird that Julian was profiting from this, that the ghost story was actually something that like helped his business. And I don't feel like the judge was living on Alcatraz in an abandoned cell. I don't know if Julian (laughs) is, but I don't know. That's, you know, we don't see Julian, but Julian's boat is gone. It feels too coincidental. So I'm going to say Julian is the psycho. Well, I'm happy to reveal that Joey is correct. It was the judge. You nailed it exactly for the reasoning and everything. She was obsessed with Ryan Sheckler. She wanted Ryan to win and she was going to get rid of his competition so that he couldn't lose. She says that the reason she did this is because she skateboards and she wanted to enter the competition, but girls weren't allowed. And then Ryan Sheckler was like, what are you talking about? There's a bunch of girls in the competitions. Yeah, (laughs) like especially the one that you attacked, which is very strange. So uh, yeah. Nailed it, Joey. Misguided feminism. (laughs) It's also really funny that the writers wrote that and then went, uh, actually, no, that's not true. And they went, well, we can't go back and change it now. We have to just keep it in the show. There's no edits allowed. Only moving forward. Mm-mm, we have to go. Congrats, Joey. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this first mystery, Joey's got a three to one lead as we get mm. into our second case. New Mexico, old monster. <laughs> old Mexico, new monster. <laughs> oh. This episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Earlier today, before recording this episode of Meddling Adults, before recording these ad reads, I was feeling a little bit hungry. I was in need of a snack, and I wanted to turn to something that made me feel good in the happiness taste department, but didn't make me feel sad in the, uh, this is bad for me department, and that is why I turned to Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's also only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low carb. And if you're listening in March 2021, you're in luck because Magic Spoon will be releasing two amazing new flavors this month for a limited time only. We're talking about cookies and cream and maple waffle. And if that doesn't have you interested in heading over to magicspoon.com slash meddling right now, I don't know what will. These incredibly comforting flavors are only available for a limited time. You can pick them up or you can build your own box. You have available flavors to make your own custom bundle, including cocoa, fruity, frosted peanut butter, and cinnamon. And for all you folks up north in Canada, Magic Spoon ships there now as well. 
I'm a big snack boy, but I like to be a healthy snack boy, so I try to fill my house with healthy food only, and Magic Spoon has made the cut. And if you want to get it in your pantry, you can go to magicspoon.com slash meddling to grab the new limited edition cookies and cream and maple waffle flavors, or get a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code meddling at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is now good anywhere in the US or Canada, but only when you use our code at checkout. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee, so if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash meddling and use the code meddling to save $5 at checkout. And thanks, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode of Meddling Adults is also brought to you by Tab for a Cause. If you're listening and you want to help raise more money for charity in the easiest way possible, at no cost to you, you can do so with Tab for a Cause. Tab for a Cause is a browser extension that lets you raise money for charity while just doing whatever you're doing online. I have it installed on my Google Chrome. I love it. Kelly has it installed on her computers. We've installed it on our parents' computers and they haven't noticed a difference, so they're raising money for charity. It's really nice. Basically, every time you open a tab, you get a heart and you can then donate those hearts to different charities, which directs the funds that Tab for a Cause raises. The tabs give you a beautiful photo with serene nature backgrounds. You'll get some small ads in the corner, but those ads are what raises money for charity. You can add little widgets and stuff to the dashboard as well so it can be functional. In addition to being beautiful, it is literally the easiest way that I could think of to raise money for charity. And if you are a tab monster like I am, that means you're even better at raising money for charity. You can join Team Meddling Adults by signing up now at tabforacause.org slash meddlingadults. That's T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E dot org slash meddlingadults. You'll join the team, you can add it to your browser, and raise money for charity in an incredibly easy way today. So we first see someone rock climbing up a big mountain in New Mexico. And what else happens? He gets attacked by a giant bird that grabs him with its claws and flies off with him. And then we cut to the gang driving the mystery machine throughout New Mexico. They are headed to Santa Fe because Shaggy is entered in an art competition. He has made a Scooby-Doo sculpture that looks exactly like Scooby, and they're going to enter it in this art contest. While they are driving out of the window in the wilds of Arizona, you see Wiley Coyote chasing the Roadrunner. Wait. I guess because it's all Hanna-Barbera cartoons, they can do this. <laughs> what? But yeah. Love a crossover event. A little crossover okay. stuff. Yeah. Okay. But only Scooby sees them and then they speed <laughs> off and then Scooby does kind of like a <gasps> look to the camera. Scooby's like, oh, my cartoon friends. <laughs> so they pass a sign for a local city in New Mexico and Shaggy goes, oh, my friend Jimmy lives here. I would love to stop by and see him before we go to Santa Fe. And Fred says, sure, we'll take a little detour. So they take a detour. They meet up with Shaggy's friend Jimmy, who is the exact same person as Shaggy, basically. Talks the same. He has a dog named Shuby, which is very nice, especially for me in particular. People have called me Shuby-Doo many a time. So I was like, oh, look, it's real. It's You felt really validated there. You were I like, did. wow. I'm seen. I've I've been represented in what's new Scooby-Doo. So they meet up with Jimmy and Jimmy asks them, hey, have you guys seen anything weird on your drive in? And they say, no, why? And then before he can explain, the giant bird attacks Scooby and Shuby who were running around in the field in Jimmy's backyard. It 
does fly down and steal Shaggy's sculpture of Scooby, but thankfully everyone else oh, is okay. no. Yeah, but he, he flies off with the sculpture. Is the sculpture made of, like, hamburger meat or anything? That sounds like <laughs> a really shaggy thing. It is not. I like the thought. Okay. I have given you a bonus point for that thought, but it appears to be stone, they don't say, but we would assume he, he chiseled it. So Shaggy's just got some untapped art potential that we didn't know about. Wow. So he's chiseled it away like Michelangelo revealed the David. Yes. And it's of his dog, Scooby-Doo. Just after the bird flies off with the sculpture, a new character, Avery Orenthal, drives up. He is a very intense bird watcher. He's got this RV with all these sorts of gizmos and gadgets on the outside. He's got a bird watcher outfit and binoculars and a notepad and all this stuff. He asks if they've seen any giant, vicious, sharp-clawed birds pass by. And Velma, in great sassy form, says, eh, just the one today. <laughs> and uh, he's very upset because he has been trying to see every rare North American bird, and he's seen all of them except for this bird. And it's his life's mission to be the first bird watcher to see and take notes on this legendary bird. He then drives off, and Jimmy explains to the gang what happened to the rock climber. And he says that the Native American reservation where he lives has invited a shaman to help them make sense of the situation. So that night, they go to the shaman's talk, and he tells this story over a fireplace. He says that there was a native tribe that disappeared all at once 1,300 years ago, and in their cave paintings from their home, it depicts a giant flying beast. The shaman says that the name of this beast is the Wakumi. Okay, is this based in... Any real... Have, did you look this up? I did. I had the exact same thought as you. I googled it. The first five results that come up is just this episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so it is not based on anything else. But I also found from like a Japanese urban dictionary equivalent that it's a rough Japanese translation for pretty girl. I don't know how legitimate that is, oh. but the only two Google search results I got was this episode of Scooby-Doo and then maybe Japanese word for pretty girl. I'm going to take that as a clue. Could be a clue. <laughs> yes, definitely. That's how these <laughs> mysteries work. <laughs> So apparently, this Wakumi, the lore says that it is protecting the sacred hunting grounds for the gods, which is the mountaintops. It's protecting them from intruders, so rock climbers that try to scale this mountain. Mm. And I have to say, I watched Free Solo. If Free Solo had even more stakes where he could get attacked by a giant bird, <laughs> it would have made it even more intense. It was already pretty intense, but you're right. Why wasn't he ever picked off the face of a cliff by a giant bird. Yeah, takeaways, Oscar. <laughs> so the gang is walking back from this shaman talk and, of course, the giant bird flies by. It drops and breaks the Scooby statue tragically. <laughs> Everyone tries to console Shaggy and he goes, you know what, it's okay, as long as my real Scooby is alright. It just flew by just to break their head the art. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> this it's bird's a real an asshole. asshole. <laughs> this, <laughs> a very rude bird. So the bird flies off and then Avery, the bird watcher, comes back. And again, he's very upset that he just missed the bird. Avery. Sorry, I just got that. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Avery. Pretty solid. And then he drives off. I didn't realize Avery at first until you just said that. So I'm going to give you a bonus point for uh, mm -hmm. helping me also realize that pun that they made. So the next day, the gang, of course, has decided that they are going to try to scale this mountain and figure out what's going up. 
They are led by a tour guide, a Native American tour guide named Cody Long, voiced by Irene Bedard, who is the voice of Pocahontas. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even realize this. I'm very surprised that Disney didn't fuck this up in the 90s. But Irene Bedard is actually a Native American actress. Like, I figured Disney, they were like, oh, we just got some white lady to do it. But no, they actually got a Native American person to do Pocahontas. And then they got her for this episode of What's New Scooby-Doo? I was very impressed. I do respect that. But now I am curious, is she also the singing voice? She is not. It's a different singing voice. Mm. So I think it's the same thing as Aladdin, where there's a different talking and singing voice. Yeah. So yeah, not the singing voice, but the talking voice played by a real Native American woman. I was flabbergasted that Disney wasn't whitewashing that. You get one point, Disney, because the rest of Pocahontas <laughs> is not good representation. Yeah. yeah. So they first, before they start really scaling the mountain, they go into some caves and they were looking at the pictographs on the wall. And Velma notes that she doesn't see any drawings of the Wakumi like the shaman mentioned in his story. So now they're going up even higher, higher than the caves. And there's supposed to be an ancient farmlands up there. And Cody already warns them that this is higher than she normally takes people. And Daphne sees something even higher, something shiny. And she wants to go up and get it. And Cody says, no, you shouldn't go up there. You're already too high. And Daphne goes, no, it's fine. I'll be okay. And she goes up. She sees that it's an air tank, like an oxygen tank. And before she can come down with the tank, the Wakumi flies, snatches her, and flies off with Daphne. Oh, my God. Has someone trained a giant bird or is it the rocketeer what is happening yeah do we have a vulture mm-hmm. crossover as well an mcu oh. crossover what's oh. going on this is actually the third spider-man movie oh <laughs> that checks out <laughs> really big multiverse going on <laughs> so the gang decides they're going to climb up even higher cody the tour guide says i'm not going any higher i'm going back down you're on your own at this point have at it if you want They go even higher and they see the shaman just warning them, saying, turn back, turn back. But then some fog rolls in and rolls out and then he's gone. They had mentioned feeling lightheaded because of altitude earlier. Mm. So the gang isn't sure if the shaman was actually there or if this is them seeing a mirage of sorts. Chirping balls. That's real. situation. So they go even higher up. The Wakumi tries to attack them. There's a classic Scooby-Doo chase scene, but they take shelter in a cave. And then the Wakumi flies off. So they finally get to the top of the mountain. And when they get to the top of the mountain, it's some sort of high-tech mining operation of sorts. There's a bunch of people in suits. There's machinery all about. Like, it's some really intense situation going on at the top of this mountain. Actively or abandoned? Oh, actively. There's machinery going. There's people actively doing stuff. It's vague about what they're exactly doing, but there's a lot of, like, people in what could be spacesuits or underwater suits, like, vague enough hazmat suits, like, think Monsters, Inc., CCD or whatever people, (laughs) like, those kind of suits, taking notes and touching vague buttons on machinery. They run into Avery, the bird watcher. He's in a tree. And Avery says that he's going to see this bird he's determined. And he blows some mating call thing, which, of course, alerts all of these workers that the gang is here. So then they start chasing after him. They are able to get a escape hang glider that they hobble together from some materials that they find and they start to hang glide to safety. I mean, we've all done it. Yeah, we've all been there. Sorry, I do have to note before they do that, they did find Daphne and the hiker from before. We find out this guy's name is Leon. They break them out of like a little holding cell that they're in and then they all hang glide to safety. But they don't see Avery because he's in a tree? They Yeah, they didn't see Avery. They just chase after the gang or at least we just see a chasing between gang and these workers. So while they are hang gliding to safety. 
they are, of course, attacked by the Wakami. They are, you know, weaving around trees and rock formations and stuff. And the Wakumi, the wing gets clipped on a rock formation, but it busts and it's like wood and other material. So it's not a real bird. It is some sort of device apparatus, etc. cetera. Mm. Aha. I will say this bird is like giant, giant, giant. Like the head is as big as half of someone's body, like enormous, enormous bird. So they land safely and then they see where the bird quote unquote lands and then they approach who it is and then they do the big classic reveal. I would have gotten away with it too for a few meddling kids, et cetera, et cetera. But I turned it over to the two of you. Who do you think is behind the Wakumi? Can we review who's with them in that moment? Yeah. Yes. In that moment on the hang glider, it is, of course, a six person hang glider that they've created, but it's the whole gang plus Leon, the guy who was climbing the mountain in the beginning and then got placed into some holding cell. Avery? Is he there? Avery was there when they got chased away, but the only people that got chased away was the gang plus Daphne and Leon. And we never saw Avery once. He does the mating call and everyone starts chasing after them. We never see Avery again. Hmm. The bird didn't bother the mining people. It seemed to protect the mining people. Correct. Hmm. 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 And we don't know what they were doing or are we about to find out? We're going to find out. I will say it's not really important and it's very bonkers. Okay, 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 okay. My instinct was for the whole episode to say Wiley Coyote, but I know that's not, uh, <laughs> I know that's, that's just simply not true. <laughs> Ashley, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I got all confused at the end because I thought, well, you know, if you bring Pocahontas in to be a guest voice, then... You know, then maybe they're trying to protect the native wildlife or something and people are ruining it. But if, in fact, we're actually trying to protect or we're trying to hide a mining operation, that would be the opposite of what any native population would want. So Mm -hmm. then... I'm like, who else did we meet? I mean, Avery claims to be very into birds. Avery is so into birds. Avery is, like, weirdly into birds. Mm -hmm. So there's that. I I don't even feel like we've met enough people. I'm going to say Avery because I remember that name. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to say I'll go with Cody because she was like, don't go up there. I'm still a little fuzzy on whether or not she would have had time to get into a costume while Daphne climbed up to see the shiny thing. But yeah, I'll take the counterpoint there. Okay, well, I am uh, sad to tell you that you're both wrong. (gasps) Okay, great. It was someone different. It was the shaman. What? Because it wasn't actually a shaman. He was Colonel Henry Thorwald, who was some sort of government conspiracy guy that was doing this top secret mining thing. Apparently, it's so secret the U.S. government doesn't even know about it. But... He did all of this to try to scare people away so that they could do this mining. Apparently, there was rumors of a meteor shower stuff landing on the top of the mountain, and they were trying to excavate and see if there was any, like, extraterrestrial findings from the meteor shower. You know, sometimes I feel like we're given the pieces we need to guess 
the mystery. And sometimes I feel like we are not. Was there any like clues about this conspiracy thing? So it's funny because you brought it up. Wakumi just being a straight up made up thing did kind of lean in it in that it was just a nonsense Uh. word. But the giveaway there is that when they're doing cave painting stuff and he says specifically these people that used to live in these caves did cave paintings of giant birds. Velma, when they're checking out the caves, she says, I don't see any cave paintings of giant birds. Uh. So that makes you think like, well, why would the shaman say that if it's not true? And then when they get to the top and the shaman's like, don't go any farther. And then he mysteriously disappears, and then immediately the bird comes after. Those are some of the giveaways that are supposed to lead you to thinking it's the shaman. Mike, you gave us those clues. You really spelled that out for us, but uh, I was really willing to just uh, own up to altitude sickness. I mean, it was definitely it was definitely a tricky one. Now, Ashley, I did give you a Misery Loves Company bonus point because my standard protocol here is always just guessing the first person that you meet. <laughs> oh. And Avery was the first non-friend that we met. <laughs> so uh, you get a Misery Loves Company bonus point, which now as we go into our third and final mystery, Joe, you have a slight lead of four to three. So it's anyone's game. Oh, it's anyone's game. So we go into our final case. High tech house of horrors. The first scene we see is a group of people, group of teenaged people, inside of this very fancy high-tech house. And there's a scientist leading them on a tour throughout the house, and he says that this house is the super home of artificial intelligence, or Sherry, S-H-A-R-I for short. So the group of teens is on tour and one girl wants to dip into one of the bathrooms in the super house to check her makeup because what else are you going to do when you're a teenage girl? But once she goes inside the bathroom and she looks in the mirror, the mirror like distorts her face to where it starts looking all evil. And then the door slams behind her and then all of the faucets start turning on and the bathroom starts to get flooded and she can't get out. And then the AI in this smart home just starts maniacally laughing and then... We cut to the gang at the Omaha World Fair. They don't do anything. They don't have any jobs. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> They're perpetually on maybe summer break. When they solve a mystery, does the town gather together and go, here's some money. Thank you. Let us gas up the van for you. They just survive on exposure. You know, It's this will do really good for you. <laughs> God, they do great in Hollywood. They just they like get cast in things. They're like, you get copy, meal and credit. And they're like, sounds good. That's how we've survived so far. <laughs> So the gang is at the Omaha World's Fair. They are loving it. It's basically like Epcot, essentially with all of the World of Tomorrow stuff, including Fred driving around in the car from the Jetsons. So another Hanna-Barbera crossover here. They are fast and loose with these references. (laughs) Velma and Daphne go into a makeover booth where... Velma goes in and then a makeover happens and she looks completely different and she starts complaining about, oh, I feel like I have 10 pounds of makeup. And then she sees herself in the mirror. She goes, oh, wow, I'm hot, which is just not a quote I was expecting from a 2002 teens cartoon. I mean, so far now we've had two references to how important makeup is for young women. And I got to say, I'm not loving that. No, not great, especially because, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with how Velma pre this makeover looks. Yeah. There is a fun joke, though, where Daphne goes in and the makeover room closes and opens and then she just looks exactly the same. And then she goes, well, looks like you can't top perfection. And then that's the end of that scene. It's a good joke. And I do respect Daphne. But that then implies like I already conformed to the societal expectations of beauty, whereas Velma doesn't. So we had to fix her. Right. And we fixed her. And now she's happier.
happier, guys. <laughs> See, you could be happy too. Maybe you should try smiling. Uh, uh. Yeah, we got to cancel this show now, unfortunately, Mike. Well, the, <laughs> the thing is, this show's actually normally a lot better about this. What I appreciate about what's new Scooby Doo is they've turned Daphne into incredibly competent and stuff. There's a lot of things where she is really on top of it. So, uh, yeah, this show's usually good about it, but I agree. A bit of a shortcoming here. Maybe it depends who wrote which episode. Ah, we could look at the writers and it's like, it's all a normal thing. And they're like, oh, what's this? This episode was written by Louis C.K.? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. You get a bonus point from me for that. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty good. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> So I'm on the board. I've got one point. I'm in third place. <laughs> so the gang ends up trying to enter the house of the future, this Sherry house. But it says it's been closed indefinitely. And two kids then run out saying that the house tried to, quote, waste us. And they said they heard that it was haunted. But the older of the two kids dared the younger to go in. So they went in. But it apparently did some spooky stuff to these kids. Uh. Mm -hmm. Then the scientist, the same scientist that was leading the tour in the intro, he comes up and he goes, this house isn't haunted. This is all a big misunderstanding. My name is Professor Laszlo Ostwald. Yes. And I can prove to you that this is fine. So they go inside the house. It's all high techy and stuff, including a robot butler named Jeeves, but it's an acronym for something more sciencey. But his name is Jeeves, and he's very sweet and helpful, cute little robot. And the scientist says, after giving them a little bit of a tour, that it's getting late and he needs his, quote, genius sleep. So I guess instead of beauty sleep, he gets genius sleep. So he's going to go to bed and he sends the gang on their way. So we are focusing on the mind. <laughs> well, but that's a man. So at this point, we have two women who need makeup and a man gets his genius sleep. Oh, not great. Oh, no, this episode. What are we doing? <laughs> okay critiquing things we like is important so the gang all starts to leave but then they realize daphne isn't with them oh, no. classic one-fifth of our group just isn't here so they go back in to try to find her and of course once they go back in they get locked in Scooby tries to play with the lock mechanism device and he gets electrocuted and then laughed at in the same way that that maniacal AI was laughing mm. in the intro when the bathroom was getting flooded for this teenage girl they see Daphne show up on a screen and she says, you guys got to help me. I'm trapped. But she th says she thinks she's trapped inside of the computer and then the screen turns off. So the gang is trying to figure out what's going on. Fred starts to say, here's my plan. And in what is a fun running bit in the show, the rest of the gang just yada yadas because they know he's going to say, let's split up. <laughs> so Velma and Shaggy already leave and go into different rooms and they go, we know the drill. <laughs> like, it's so fun that they keep doing it. So Velma and Fred are together and Shaggy and Scooby are in another area. Velma and Fred find some recently soldered wires sticking out of a control panel. And Velma notes that those wires are still warm, so someone has been doing something in the smart house. The wires are warm. Yeah, classic giveaway. So then Fred and Velma get attacked by a swarm of robotic flies. As they are able to escape them, they run into two other people. 
they run into Horatio Hidalgo and his cameraman. Horatio Hidalgo is the host of a show called Scare Factor, and he's basically like a combo of Bear Grylls and Fear Factor (laughs) and a ghost hunter, where he's this macho guy that dresses all macho-like and he's absolutely ripped, but his whole shtick is going into places that are apparently haunted and then out machoing the ghosts. As I say this, I'm realizing that this episode's getting worse. As I say it, I realize this episode was written by Joe Rogan. Yeah, geez. (laughs) He says that he showed up once he heard about the missing girl, and they're like, oh, our friend Daphne, and he goes, what? I'm talking about, and he references the teenage girl from before. He goes, there's another missing girl? So that's why him and his cameraman are here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the house is preying exclusively on young women. Yeah, the house. Okay, all right. Now we're in an episode of Criminal Minds. (laughs) Just checking all the boxes. Horatio tries to hit on Velma. Velma is not having it, which is nice. She shuts him down immediately. Is she still in her makeup or is he hitting on the real Velma? She is not. She immediately undid her makeup, which was nice. So she's back to regular Velma. Like an Etch-A-Sketch? Apparently, you know, just like abity abity abity. I wish I could take off my makeup at the end of the day like an Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> just <laughs> shake it out. That'd be really good. Yeah, I wish I could just shake my whole body and it just it just <laughs> falls to the floor like a bunch of soot. That would be very, very good. Ashley, I'm giving you a bonus point for Etch-A-Sketch makeup removal. I would love if that existed. It's very fun. Now the game is tied four to four. <sighs> No, shit, shit, shit. I gotta say something funny or win. (laughs) (laughs) So Velma's not having Horatio's hitting on her. And then we cut to Shaggy and Scooby, who are in a separate room. And then a bunch of Daphne holograms show up. And at first, they're all saying, save me, Shaggy, save me, Scooby. But then they all turn evil and they all start like doing the maniacal laughter here for Shaggy and Scooby. So they run away. Mike, you know, you you keep referencing the maniacal laughter, but I'm having trouble kind of um, conjuring it. And I just was hoping mm-hmm. you could do it. Yes, I'll, I'll do a take, of course. It goes along with like an alarm blaring noise sometimes, which makes it even scarier. But she basically just goes like, <laughs> and then it will like cut to another scene before it can continue to elevate. So Velma and Fred then run into those kids from before. They're back in the house, apparently. And we see a laser, like, slowly attacking one of the kids who is clamped down, your classic evil villain trope. Fred and Velma are able to get this laser to stop moving. And the older kid goes, oh, man, you ruined my prank. And they go, prank? And he goes, well, I wasn't going to let the laser actually hit him. And before they can scold this kid for almost lasering his friend to death, more robotic flies come, so they have to run away from the robotic flies. Well, that's better than what I thought you were going to say, which was that the house started lasering the kid to death. (laughs) No, thankfully, that doesn't happen. It just sends a swarm of robotic flies after them. You know, that's uh, somewhat of an upgrade. Then we cut back to Shaggy and Scooby, who get attacked by the really nice butler from before who has turned evil. Now, instead of just having two dot eyes on like a digital readout, he's got angry eyebrows over his two dot eyes, the sign that he's become an evil butler. (laughs) So he is chasing after them, saying very angrily that he has to take out the trash, take out the trash. Wow. Calling them trash. Yeah. Pretty mean from evil butler. Shoves them into a trash chute. And then it does the classic Star Wars trash compactor thing. And it doesn't look like they're going to be able to get out of it. 
Fred and Velma, through an air vent, hear them yelling. They go to, like, a trash room to try to stop the machine. But then, like, a Wally cube of trash or a Monsters, Inc. cube when they think Boo is a cube, they have a Shaggy-looking and a Scooby-looking cube come out, and they say, oh, no, we're too late. But then Shaggy and Scooby just spring to life out of cube form, and they go, good thing we're so used to cramming into tight spaces. And then everyone laughs, and they continue sleuthing. And they just don't address their unbelievably malleable bones. Nope. They, they just don't mention it at all. We never see if they actually escaped or whatever. It's just, they're fine. Trash compactor, no match for them. So the gang then finds the mainframe computer room, and Daphne is trapped in what looks like a cylinder from Zordon in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, just like a floor-to-ceiling cylinder. She's trapped in one of those, and so is this teenage girl from the intro. So she's alive, hooray. So Velma then, of course, starts to hack in to the computer. She is able to break the two girls free, but then the evil butler comes back and starts to attack. There's a big old hijink-filled chase scene, and then eventually they're able to escape, and as they escape, Hidalgo congratulates them on a job well done. His cameraman got all that footage, and Hidalgo's really excited. He thinks this is going to make for great footage on his TV show. He congratulates them on a job well done. He asks if they'll sign some release forms. But before they can even scold him for this ridiculousness, Jeeves comes back and welds the door shut, the entrance door, so they can't leave. And then the gang does a plan to trap him. They do your classic chase scene that ends up with Jeeves getting trapped. And then Fred goes to remove the head of Jeeves, thinking that this is going to be someone inside of a robot suit. I will say in this chasing, we lose sight of Hidalgo. So this is just the gang doing all of this. We don't know where he is. Fred removes the head of the butler. And instead of just being a mask costume, it's just a bunch of wires and stuff. So it was a real robot. <laughs> it's a robot. He killed the robot. Fred at first is floored like he just killed a human, but he did just break a robot. But Fred is absolutely floored. He's oh, like big jaw drop, but it is actually a real robot. And then there is the reveal of who is behind all of this stuff. So I'll turn to the two of you. Who is behind Evil House and all of this madness? Okay. Trying to just even keep track of suspects, we've got Professor Laszlo Ostwald and we've got Horatio Hidalgo. Do we have anyone else? We also could have the two kids, the bully kid who keeps messing with the younger kids saying that the house is haunted. I will say, talking about Professor Oslo, I forgot to mention that earlier at some point when they were trying to save Daphne before they found the mainframe room, Velma found like a communications room and she tried to talk to the professor who had this like multi-purpose watch that he used to control all of the stuff in the house. He was asleep from his, you know, genius sleep and she starts to tell him what's up, he then starts to wake up from his sleep and talk to her. And just as she starts to explain what's going wrong, the feed cuts out. Mm. So that's the other instance of Laszlo that we've seen. But yeah, we've got Laszlo as a suspect. We've got the two kids, maybe particularly the bully kid, and then Horatio Hidalgo and his cameraman. Hmm. Or just house itself being evil sentient ai right sentient house no one actually programming it the villain was the house we met along the way i the whole time before jeeves came back and was mad i was like jeeves is just the bad jeeves is behind this the butler did it of course <laughs> part of me was thinking that maybe hmm 
This is, I'm going real weird with this one. Let's do it. Let's do it. My thought was that Jeeves was in love with the house, who was a personification <laughs> oh, of a woman. Yo. And he was trying to use the girls to put the consciousness of the house into a human form so that he can have a wife. This is like Ex Machina meets her. I love this. Or that the house wanted to become like a body. So th- like the house was evil. That's what I'm going with. Are you pinning it on the butler or the house? Or you think they're both together? Yes, I think they're working together. Okay, okay. Well, that's surely worth a point, <laughs> which means that I've got to try to beat you for charity. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Hidalgo or his cameraman. I don't, I mean, I I don't know that I have enough information to separate them, the two, but it does give us two separate bodies to play with if they're working together in order to create content for their television program. You don't really understand what Laszlo's motivations would be um, other than, you know, wanting to own some women. (laughs) (laughs) And this episode's been problematic, so it's possible. Yeah, given this episode, which has gone downhill quickly. I mean, only if they'll put some goddamn makeup on. (laughs) But he did take the pretty ones. He didn't take (laughs) Thelma. Yeah, because she took her makeup off. She couldn't do it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Hidalgo and team. Okay. Well, I am happy to say that Joey is <gasps> more correct. What? Giving him the points here. So, it wasn't necessarily the butler a love situation. I was going to give you a bonus point for the off-the-wall guess regardless. Just incredible stuff there. And then it would have been really tragic if the robot, if he killed the house's <laughs> husband. But anyways. But... I did give you a bonus point because you're very close. It was the house controlling everything and the house controlling the butler. So in a way, they are working together. But really what it was is the house was jealous of not humans and human beauty and stuff. The house was jealous of Laszlo, who is getting credit for all of the smart house stuff. Because like, yeah, sure, Laszlo invented the smart house, but she's putting in all the hard work. So for all these tour groups to come in and Laszlo getting to lead the tours and say, look at this awesome thing I built. She was upset that people weren't praising her. They were praising Laszlo for creating her. So she wanted to get back at him and show how strong she was on her own. It's Westworld. Very much so. Like her Mm. controlling the stuff without someone having to put in input. She was like, look at all this stuff I can do without you telling me what to do. And in a very creative way, the way that they actually get her system to shut down and stuff is Velma realizes that the house is just after attention. So she gets everyone just to sit down and not do anything. And as the house tries to do all this like evil stuff, they just don't react to it. And it bugs (laughs) her so much that it just like ruptures her mainframe and she shuts down. And then all of the the doors like fail safe open and they're able to escape. This (laughs) it's funny because this is such an oddly misogynistic episode where it's like, just don't listen to the crazy woman and then she'll shut up. Oh no. <laughs> it's, tr- it's really true. Oh, but also like kudos on your, on your guest, Joey, because you know, usually the premise of Scooby-Doo is like, it seems like it's something supernatural. Oh, it's a weirdo in a suit. And this one is actually saying it's a smart house gone wrong, just as they warned us. And uh, it's a cautionary tale not to build computers smarter than we are. And what's very fun is that the gang very much plays up on the fact that it wasn't just a person in a suit because when Fred does rip the head off and it's a robot, they all in unison say it's 
no one we know. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone says it at the same time, which is very funny. Instead of them all saying in unison, like, it's the janitor. So that was a very fun time. But Joey, I give you a bonus point for ridiculousness, but then also an extra bonus point for like kind of getting there. So you have won this episode of Meddling Adults with a score of six to four, meaning you've earned some money for feeding Texas. How does it feel to reign victorious? It feels great. It'll be very nice to help give some folks some peace of mind and some aid right now where they need it. Definitely. Ashley, you still fought valiantly. It was a close one. You were right in there. I am proud of your performance as well. Don't be too downtrodden. It was a barn burner through and through. I'll pick myself up off the floor. (laughs) Thank you. I will say it's like, because when you're listening to this, we are right in the middle, Ashley and myself, my group, the Tin Can Brothers. uh, We wrote a show a couple years ago that Ashley was in that was called The Solve It Squad. That is kind of an adult version of Scooby-Doo about a gang who regroups as adults after their dog is murdered when they're kids from (laughs) solving mysteries. It really fucks them all up, and so they get back together as adults, and they start solving mysteries again. So we've been developing this as an animated show, and uh, last Saturday, we did one reading of two episodes of this new animated show we're developing, and then this Saturday, the 20th, we're doing another two episodes. So if you'd like to, you can come and see these live stream performances we're doing. Amazing. Where can people watch those whenever... They hear this. If you head to tincambros.com, we'll have a lot of information posted there. And the digital ticket for the last weekend show should be available. So you could go back and like do a rental for that and watch it. And then um, you can check out this week's live. We do little talkbacks after the show with the cast. And we're and yeah, there's two episodes in each performance and nice awesome well joey and ashley thank you again so much for joining this was so fun had a great time here bunch of silliness was abound and you know in addition to solving mysteries we got to the bottom of the problems in an episode of scooby-doo and that is some good sleuthing that we all need in our lives so thank the two of you for being some great and investigative meddling adults i didn't solve a single mystery but i did identify some things i found offensive as a woman Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the website is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you're enjoying the show, if you could tell someone about it or leave a rating online or post about it on social media, all of those things would help. And if you want to help the show monetarily, you want to help us raise more money for charity, you can do that in a number of ways. The first of which is heading over to patreon.com slash meddlingadults. You can join and give to us monthly. We'll put your name on the website. We'll give you bonus audio. You'll get access to episodes earlier than the public. All sorts of fun stuff lives there at patreon.com slash meddlingadults. But if you can't give monthly and you still want to give, you can do so at paypal.me slash meddlingadults and you can give a one-time donation. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so at Meddling Adults on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can go to reddit.com slash r slash meddlingadults. Our website, meddlingadults.com, has more information about the show itself. We'll also soon be adding more information about all of the money that we've raised over the course of these seasons. And finally, thank you to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you want to listen to some other podcasts, maybe the ones that I work on, like Potterless or Horse, 
are all the other shows. You can check all of that out at multitude.productions. Thanks again so much for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to us on your preferred podcasting app so that you don't miss a single episode. And that next episode will be coming out next Wednesday. So we'll see you there for the next episode of Meddling Adults.